background, then you've probably been, been told that uh, parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. Beautiful little anecdotes, if you like, to make complicated things simple and straightforward. I mean, so why doesn't every preacher speak in parables? I mean, why, why don't they teach that in Bible college? Yeah. A lot of preaching is way over people's heads, it has to be said, doesn't it? I mean, I love what Spurgeon said to his students. You know, you probably heard this before. I know Campbell's a great fan of Spurgeon. He, he reminds his students that Jesus said, feed my sheep, not my giraffes. <laughs> and yet often, you know, preachers sort of put the, put the truth up there, out of people's reach. No, we need to make the truth accessible to our hearers. So isn't that what Jesus is doing here? Isn't that why Jesus speaks to the crowd in parables? It makes perfect sense to us. But you see, it makes no sense at all to the disciples. Do you see that there in verse 10? They're bewildered. You can sense their, their bewilderment there in verse 10. Why do you speak to them in parables, he says, they say to him. And his answer is not what you might have expected if you'd gone to Sunday school. His answer is, look what he says. He quotes Isaiah 6. That's the Old Testament passage that we read. He quotes from Isaiah 6, and then he says in verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, and wait for it, this is why I speak to them in parables, he says, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Why does he speak in parables? So that they can understand him? No. So that they won't understand him. Do you see? Why does he speak in parables? Not to reveal the truth, but to conceal the truth. Now, that seems like such a wrong move, doesn't it, to the disciples? It seems like a, a, a strategic mistake. Surely this is a PR blunder, because the crowds are gathering. They're hanging on his every word. Surely now is the time to put together the clearest, most comprehensive PowerPoint presentation. Now's not the time to be speaking in riddles. That, that's what's going through their minds. Why don't you just give it to them straight, they're saying. They're thinking anyway. Don't you want people to know, to know who you are? And, and the answer to that, of course, is, well, yes, he does, and no, he doesn't. <laughs> because, you see, with his rising popularity... There is also mounting opposition. You can see that in the immediate context. In fact, in, in chapter 12, uh, his own family, at the end of chapter 12, his own family come to take him away because they think he's mad. <laughs> and in the middle of chapter 12, the authorities accuse him of being in league with the devil. They think he's bad. And even his best friend and his strongest supporter, John the Baptist, at the end of chapter 11, is having second thoughts about him. And he sends messengers to Jesus saying, are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or should we be looking for someone else? So you see what's happening. This is a crucial moment in Jesus' ministry. His popularity is rising with the common people, but there is also mounting opposition to him. With the gathering crowds, there are also gathering clouds. And so he deliberately speaks to them in parables to sift his hearers, to separate the sheep from the goats, if you like. 
to divide his hearers into those who really want to hear him and know who he is and what he's about and those who don't. I suppose you could say he's, getting, he's playing hard to get by talking in parables. Those who are half-hearted about him <clears throat> will wander off to someone else. Only those who really want to know more will hang around. In other words, you see, parables act as a kind of filter, revealing the truth to those who want to hear it and concealing the truth from those who don't. Let me, let me just illustrate it. Uh, yeah, now we're back in Tasmania. Our home church is St. John's, where we started out when we came to Tasmania all those years ago. Uh, Ruth is there this morning. She's on the morning tea roster. That's why she's not with me here this morning. And uh, if you've been to St. John's, many of you have been to St. John's there in Macquarie Street, uh, or if you've walked around the building, you'll notice it's a lovely sandstone building, and there are stained glass windows in a Presbyterian church, yes. And uh, there, there's not many of them. Uh, some of them are just colored glass, but there are a couple of, you know, real stained glass windows. What, there's one lovely one of uh, Holman Hunt's famous painting of uh, Christ standing at the door of the heart and knocking, you know, Revelation 3.20. Now, if you walk around the building, you, you won't see that. You'll just see dark glass. You'll see something that's quite indistinct, really. Just dark glass. But if you, if you, if you were in St. John's right now, and I know because that's where I normally am, if you're in St. John's right now and the, on a beautiful day like today and the sun is shining through those windows, you would see that picture clearly as anything. Do you see? It's like that. It's like stained glass windows. If you're on the inside and the sun shines through, you'll see it. But if you're on the outside, it will be dark and indistinct. See, parables both illumine the truth and hide it at the same time, depending on whether you're inside or outside, depending on whether you're in the house listening to Jesus, as the, as the disciples were, or outside. To you, he says in verse 11, to his disciples, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. See, it was a crucial moment. They were gathering crowds, but they were also gathering clouds. The authorities were determined to, to stamp out this movement. They were determined to drag Jesus to crucifixion. It, it's a crucial moment. It's a dangerous time. And Jesus doesn't want to be swept along by uh, the power of a, a popular movement. He, he's, he's, he's moving according to his own agenda. At the time of the Reformation, there were two great uh, English reformers, uh, Bilney, uh, Thomas Bilney and Hugh Latimer. Um, they were the two great English reformers, uh, both at, uh, I think, at Oxford University at the time. Uh, Latimer was a, a priest. And, and Bilney, was, uh, Bilney became a, a, Christ, uh, a Christian first. He was converted first. And then he led Latimer to Christ. And this is how he did it in those dangerous times. Uh, there was a serious opposition to the Reformed faith. The, the writings of Luther and Calvin were coming into England, and, and to be found reading those sort of books meant basically a death sentence. So Bilney decides that he wants to see his friend Calvin, uh, Latimer converted. And so what he decided to do was to, you know, like they did in those days, to go along to the confessional, because Latimer was his priest. And he used to go to the, uh, the confession, he used to go to confession regularly, and regularly in confession he would uh, confess 
at length to the new ideas that he was finding in the New Testament. <laughs> and it was all under the seal of the confessional. <laughs> it's clever, isn't it? But do you see what he was doing? We've got to be as, uh, as innocent as doves and as wise as serpents, don't we? Do you see what he was doing? He, 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 was, he was planting gospel truths in Latimer's mind. So that when the Holy Spirit began to work in answer to Bilney's prayers, those truths would come to life. And that's what Jesus is doing here at this juncture in Matthew's Gospel. He's planting truth in people's minds for later on. He puts it in such a vivid and unforgettable way, but it, it requires interpretation to understand these, these great truths. You have to come out of the crowd and into the house. You have to sit at Jesus' feet and be taught by him, which is what we do when we gather on, on the Lord's Day here in this church. We sit at Jesus' feet to, to, to hear from him. So let's do that now then this morning as we look at this first parable. Uh, this first parable is telling us about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, all these parables in Matthew 13 are telling us what the kingdom of heaven is like. This is what the prophets have looked forward to. This is what... Uh, uh, the world has been waiting for, and now it's here. And what is it going to be like? Well, notice three things about the kingdom of heaven and its progress in the world. Notice three things, and these are fairly short points. Uh, quite a long introduction, but these are fairly short points, okay? Uh, three things, a vital activity, a variable response, and a very big result. And I say those these three things uh, not only to challenge us, but to encourage us as we uh, look forward to this year ahead of gospel ministry here in Hobart. First, there's something that's absolutely vital to the, to the coming of Christ's kingdom in the world and here in Tasmania. And, and it's the word of God. Verse 3, a farmer went out to sow. It, it's an everyday story of country folk. It was probably happening right then as as Jesus was speaking up on the hills around uh, the lake, a farmer scattering seed. They, it was a very commonplace thing. But notice the seed, what is the seed? He, Jesus explains that later on. The seed is the word of God. It is the message about the kingdom. That, and, 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 and you see, that, this is how God's kingdom comes. Let's be very clear about this. This is how... God sets up his sovereign rule in the world. This is how the kingdom of heaven comes. Not with a fanfare of trumpets or a motorcade of limousines down the main street. Not by military force or political wheeling and dealing. How does the kingdom of God come? By the patient, continual scattering of the seed. Week in, week out, year after year. Never underestimate the power of that. A farmer went out to sow. And notice Jesus, I think, deliberately doesn't identify who the sower is. Of course it's him. Somebody said, uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody said about Jesus, uh, God only had one son and he was a preacher. Of course Jesus is the preacher. He's the one who's coming with this message of the kingdom. 
Of course, it's Jesus, but he deliberately doesn't identify himself here. It's deliberately, I think, open-ended. It's anyone who sows the, sows the word of God. It's anyone who stands up here and preaches. It's any parent with young kids teaching them the Bible at home. Any Sunday school teacher or, or, or gospel worker, a farmer went out to sow. That's what we're all called to do, to, to scatter the word of God amongst the, all sorts of different people. We're, we're, this is what we're all called to do all the time, uh, to scatter the word of God, to scatter the seed in, in countless conversations. Just, just, just slip Jesus into the conversation and see what happens. I mean, you don't have to have a, a fully formed gospel presentation word perfect. You do, that's usually very artificial. You don't have to Bible bash people because that never works. That's counterproductive. But can you not deliberately think this week about the people you're likely to meet? And can you not perhaps prayerfully ask, Lord, help me to say something about Jesus and his kingdom this week? And that little seed, that's all it takes. It doesn't seem like very much. And, and often you have to wait a very long time before you see any results. But there's life in that seed. And what Jesus is telling us here is this, it will produce a harvest. I, I love what Luther said about, uh, you know, probably one of the great revivals in church history, the Reformation. Someone asked him, how did that happen? Martin Luther just standing up against the might of the Roman church. How did that happen? I love what he said. He said, I did nothing. The word did everything. I, I got up in the morning and I preached the word and I prayed and I went to bed and I slept and it happened. Because the word of God finds good soil and bears amazing fruit. And see, that's what we must be doing. That's what we must be about. The kingdom of God is not going to come by us coming to this hall on a Sunday and having a worship service. <laughs> the kingdom of God is going to come as you go out into Hobart and have countless conversations and tell people about Jesus and his kingdom. The prophets have been waiting for this. And now it's come. And you're in on this secret. And it's an open secret to share with your friends and relatives. Carey, William Carey got it right, didn't he? He's often called the father of the modern mission movement. And uh, in 1792, he wrote a very famous book, An Inquiry into the Obligation of Christians to Use Means for the Conversion, conversion of the Heathen. <clears throat> he wrote that as a response to uh, a very discouraging uh, minister's fraternal, where the, the chairman of the, the minister's fraternal uh, poured cold water on his plans to go to India with the gospel. John Ryland, his name was, and he said, if God wants to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help, young man. So sit down and forget about it. But that is exactly wrong, isn't it? That is exactly wrong. A farmer went out to sow, Jesus says. The kingdom of God, of God will only come as you and I go out to sow the message of Jesus in people's minds and hearts. See, the kingdom comes as the word is taught. I'm sure we're all clear about that. I hope we are. But, but why does it meet with, with such a mixed response? <clears throat> why such a variable reception? 
Why, why doesn't everybody believe about Jesus when they hear about him? Why does, you know, in your own family circles, why, why do some respond and others don't? Well, the answer, according to Jesus here, is in the soil. There are four different kinds of soil that he mentions here. When the seed is scattered, he says some falls on <clears throat> the wayside, some on stony ground, some among thorns, and some on good ground. Now, I think we've, we've I think we need to be up, we need to be very careful here that um, we we don't interpret this kind of fatalistically. There's nothing fixed about this. Jesus is not describing four different personality types. He's not saying there are four different types of people here this morning. We, we, what he's talking about are four different kinds of responses to the message of the kingdom. And that can change. It can change from week to week. You, you, can, you can be here this, this morning and you can be really wrapped in what I'm saying and you can really agree with everything I say. Next week, you, you might have had a bad week and you come and your heart's as hard as anything. And it's like water off a duck's back. <laughs> You see, there's no reason why we should categorize people and label them and put them into boxes and say, well, she's a wayside hearer, you know. And then, well, he's a thorny ground hearer because there's no reason in the mercy of God that even while I'm speaking to you this morning, God couldn't change your heart. Even at this very moment, while I'm speaking to you, God promises to take away your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So with that in mind, let, let me ask you what kind of soil are you this morning? How are you responding here and now to the word as it's preached to you? Don't forget, this is Jesus speaking to you. He's not, he's not in the boat now. He's in heaven. He's, a, he's in the highest place that heaven affords. But by his spirit and through his servant, he's speaking to you. Jesus is speaking to you, not me. So how are we going to respond it's true, you know, that some are, for some it's, it is like water off a duck's back. Their hearts are like, hearts are like a well-worn footpath, Jesus says. Uh, the message never seems to get through. So many feet have trodden that path over the years that it becomes impenetrable. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been brought up in a, in a Christian home. And you've heard it all before a hundred times. Maybe you've been brought up on this and you've become gospel-hardened. Some seed fell along the path, it says. And the birds came and ate them up. No, 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 no sooner do they hear the word, Jesus says in verse 19, the devil comes and, and snatches it away. And, and, and the reason Satan can snatch it away is because we haven't allowed it to penetrate our hearts and minds. That, that's, that's why it's so important you know, for us to, to cultivate the art of spiritual conversation in our meetings. There's a real ministry there, I think, for people. Some seed fell along the path and the birds came and ate them up. Well, we need to shoo them away, don't we? We need some scarecrows in this congregation. That's a ministry you could have. Frighten away the birds. Talk to people about the sermon. Why don't you? It's amazing how many people forget what's been said by the time they get to the door. Talk to people about what did you find helpful in that talk this morning? 
Ask them, uh, would you like to take this further? Would you like to join a, a, a growth group or a gospel community or whatever you call them at Cornerstone? Would you like to, to dig more, more deeply into the word? Would you like me to catch up with you and read through Mark's gospel during the week? Don't scare off the birds. Let's not do the devil's work for him. Jesus is speaking to us now, so let's not talk about the footy straight away or COVID or what kind of a week we had. There's a time and a place for that. But the king is speaking about his kingdom. Scare off the birds. Let's not do the devil's work for him. See, and let me say, just in case you misunderstand what I'm saying here, this has got nothing to do with memory. I don't want people to feel guilty because they can't remember my sermons. I, can't, I often can't remember what I preached last week. <laughs> it's not about remembering. That's, that's the trouble with the internet. And you listen to talks online and then and you take notes on Sunday and then you try and remember. It's not about remembering. It's about responding, my friends. Do you see the difference? I, I can't remember what I had to eat last week. I didn't memorize the, the menu. I sat at the table. <laughs> And I, I, I ate what was put in front of me, and I'm the stronger for it. I wouldn't be able to stand up this morning if I hadn't done that. But don't ask me to tell you what meals we had. I can't remember. It's all a blur. Do you see? And, and that's, what, that's what it means to, to, to come here on a Sunday. Here and now, as I'm speaking, we need to be feeding on the word, the words that come out of the mouth of Jesus. Are you responding? Are you receiving this word into your life? Or is it, you know, in one year and out the other? Sometimes there's an immediate response in, in the congregation, uh, but it's shallow and short-lived, and it doesn't bring any lasting change, like the seed that falls on stony ground. I don't know if you've seen that in churches. I don't know if you've seen that in your own life. Sometimes it really troubles us, doesn't it? We've been Christians now for so many years, and we don't seem to have made any progress. It doesn't seem like there's any difference now than when we first believed. If anything, sometimes we think we're going backwards. And uh, Jesus talks about this in, in, verse, in verse 5. He talks about the seed falling on stony ground, and he unpacks it in verse 20. He says, this is, this is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he's got no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. See, we talk about people with rocks in their heads, don't we? Jesus talks about people with rocks in their hearts. It's a bit like our backyard on Mount Nelson. You know, it's north-facing. It's, uh, it's just a thin layer of soil on a shelf of rock, and I don't have to cut the grass. When, the, when it rains, the, 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 the grass springs up, and it looks very promising, but I, I don't have to worry too much. I, I've got one of these whippersnippers. I don't know how to use it. The, the cord keeps breaking, and I can never put it back again. So I just don't bother, because I know when the sun comes out, <laughs> that grass will die straight away. Never, it's great being up there on Mount Nelson facing, facing the sun. Never have to cut the grass. And, and there are those, Jesus says, who, who, who respond to the word like that superficially. They spring up with a, with a show of, uh, of interest and even enthusiasm. They come into a church and you think, oh, this is really promising. But it's short-lived. Because they've never counted the cost. It's never been presented to them that there is a cost. And when trouble comes and, and, and persecution, they're scandalized. I didn't sign up for this. 
And the message doesn't take root, you see, in their lives. It's just surface emotion. How do you deal with people like that? How do you deal with stony ground hearers? Do you, see, you remember how, what Jesus does? He plows up the ground, doesn't he? I can think of, I'm sure you can think of examples. Think of the woman at the well in John chapter 4. Why did Jesus say to her, uh, go and fetch your husband? I mean, they're having a nice little talk about water. She's carrying uh, this big, she's going to the well to get water every day in the blazing hot sun. And Jesus says, you know, do you realize there's such a thing as living water? Water on tap? Wow. That would be great if we could have water on tap. I wouldn't have to be carrying this big heavy water pot with me every day. And they're just having a kind of conversation about water. Obviously, it's deeper than that, but she doesn't understand that. And then Jesus, Jesus gives, there's a kind of throwaway line. He says, go and fetch your husband. Why does he say that? Because she hasn't got a husband. She's had, she's had five husbands, and the man she's living with now isn't her husband. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's putting his finger on something. He's plowing up the ground in order to plant the seed of the gospel and make her thirsty for the real living water, do you see? Or think of the rich young ruler in, in, uh, in the gospel who's got everything going for him. If he came here, we'd sign him up straight away. The rich young ruler. He's kept all the commandments since he was a youth, he, he says. And do you remember what Jesus says to him? Oh, yeah, you've, you've kept all the, you know the commandments? Yes, I've kept them all since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. And Jesus says, okay, go and sell all that you've got and give it to the poor. Why does Jesus say that? To expose his need, to expose his greed. This isn't some general thing about money. He's, this is Jesus dealing with an individual. And it's not that this man is rich. It's not that he's got money. His problem is that money has got him. And do you see what Jesus is doing with this man? He's, he's plowing up the ground for the seed to take root. This is so important. You see, if, if people come to Jesus for the wrong reasons, well, they're not going to last. They'll drop out when trouble comes. Martin Lloyd-Jones was one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century in Westminster Chapel there in London. Had a fantastic ministry. His great preaching, you've probably read his books, but that's not his great preaching. His great preaching was his evangelistic preaching on a Sunday night. And uh, one day after he'd preached a very powerful sermon, uh, an unbeliever came up to him and said, Doctor, if you'd given an altar call tonight, I would have come forward. And the doctor said, if you don't want Jesus five minutes after the service is over, I can assure you you didn't really want him at any point during my sermon. That's the test, you see. Not surface emotion, but serious discipleship. How serious are you about following Jesus? What needs, what needs to be rooted out of your life? What needs dealing with in your life for the, for the seed to take root and for you to grow as a follower of Jesus? But even more dangerous than the, the hardness of the wayside hearer, and the shallowness of the stony ground hearer is the case of the thorny ground hearer. In verse 22, the one who's sown among the thorns, this is someone, Jesus says, who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the seduction of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The word grows, but so do the weeds. And the weeds take over, don't they? They certainly do in our garden. And the weeds are competing for the same light and nutrients. I think many of us are like that, you know. We, we, 
we hear the word and, and, and we believe it's true and we can understand a, a good talk. But, we, but there's, it's like, those, like those, those notifications I keep getting on my, my phone, you know. Um, too much screen time. <laughs> your screen time last week was up by, or your screen time last week was down by 20% or whatever. That's the problem, isn't it? It's not that we don't listen. It's not that we don't hear the word. But there's too much screen time and, and too little Bible time in our life. Isn't that right? The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke us and our hearts become overcrowded with things. So even as I'm talking to you now, you're thinking about next week. You're thinking about other things. We care too little for our souls. We don't value what happens here on a Sunday as we should. We're more concerned about what's going out there in the world and all our interests and all our investments out there. And that's what's crowding in, even as Jesus is speaking to us through his word. We can't find room in our hearts anymore for what really matters. We notice we're no longer as distinctly Christian as we used to be because the world has wrapped itself around us like a boa constrictor and it's squeezing the life out of us. Is that you? Is that what's happening right now? What kind of soil, what kind of response are you giving to the word of God when you hear it, when Jesus speaks? Now, of course, every parable has a punchline, and that's one of the things to remember about parables. Every parable has a punchline, and the punchline in this parable is in verse 23. And it's a powerful punch. The one sown on the good ground, this is the one who hears and understands the word, who who bears fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. The parable ends on a, on a very positive note. Jesus concludes with this promise of a, of a superabundant harvest. It's probably lost on us, because, but, this, but this was a staggering surprise to the disciples. See, the average harvest in that barren desert region was no more than seven or eight times the amount of seed sown. So, so ten times would be a good harvest. Uh, Twenty times would be an exceptional harvest. Thirty times, sixty times, a hundred times is unthinkable. What Jesus is promising here. Do you see what he's saying? He's not saying all Christians will bear fruit, some a little, some a lot. He's saying all Christians will bear lots of fruit. Some a lot. Some a lot more. Some a whole lot more. See, that's the test of whether or not we're in his kingdom. That's the test of whether or not he's our king. That's the test of whether or not we are responding to his word. Are we bearing fruit? See, all these people heard the word, the hard hearts, the shallow hearts, the overcrowded hearts, but it's only the good soil that bears fruit. The good hearer welcomes the word immediately. So that it can't be snatched away deeply so that it won't wither and die. And exclusively so that it's not strangled by competing interests. So let me ask you again as I close. Are you a, what kind of a hearer are you? Are you a careless hearer? No sooner do you hear than you're on to something else? Is that what's going to happen when we finish this morning? Are you a casual hearer, you know, receiving it with joy, but never seriously applying it to your life? Never seriously trying to live it out? 
Are you a carnal hearer? Allowing the world, the world with all its cares and, and temptations and glittering prizes, allowing the world to wrap itself around you and choke the life out of you? Or are you a careful hearer? Careful to receive what James calls the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Because that's what's at stake. The saving of your soul. But it's bigger than that. And because this is the last point, and it's a very, very short point, <laughs> there's the promise here of a very big result. Do you see that? See, Jesus isn't, Jesus is, 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 isn't just speaking about individual salvation here. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the future. This is, this is amazing when you see it. Jesus is looking beyond his own lifetime. Right down to the present time. Right time down to where we are right now. And, and what he's saying is this, you see, to his disciples and to us. What he's saying, looking down the centuries, what he's saying is this. Welcome to gospel ministry. This is what it's going to be like. Yes. There are heartbreaking, soul-destroying disappointments in gospel ministry. And yes, there are going to be times and seasons when there's going to be a bumper crop and other times when nothing much seems to happen. Yes, you're up against powerful opposition. You're up against the world, the flesh, and the devil, and, and gospel work can be hard and frustration. Yes, it's easy to get discouraged, especially in a day of small things. It's easy to get discouraged. But you see, in the midst of all the discouragements and setbacks, Jesus promises a, a bumper harvest, such as those hearing him that day could never have believed possible. Think of Jesus himself. He fell into the ground and died. And what came of that? More than can be numbered. More than can be numbered. Isn't that right? Think of the 12. Opposed, persecuted, martyred, and yet just 25 years after Jesus spoke this parable, Paul can say in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Exactly as Jesus said it would. Exactly as Jesus said it would. And even now we know that that's happening. Let's, let's take the blinkers off. Let's not have a pity party about how hard things are in Tasmania. All over the world this very morning, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, even 100-fold. There's revival happening in different parts of the world. The crowds are being gathered in, not just the ones and twos now and again. So don't lose your confidence in the word of God to do its work in this world. Maybe you know those famous words of Rudyard Kipling's. If, if you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools, or watch the things you've given your life for, broken, and stoop to build them up with worn-out tools, that's the way to be a man, my son. And Jesus is saying, that's the way to be a man of God. That's the way to be a woman of God. Don't give up. Keep having those conversations. Keep scattering the seed, sowing the word, knowing that whatever response we get or lack of response, short term, long term, there's going to be a bumper harvest. And there'll be people 
who you will meet in the life to come, in the world to come, who are there because of a conversation that you had and you've forgotten about it. But there will be a bumper harvest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can have such confidence in your word because it is your word. We thank you, Lord, that through your word you bring in your kingdom. Through your word, Lord, you bear fruit in this world. And Lord, we pray indeed that at this juncture in the life of Cornerstone that you would bring your word powerfully to this congregation and that you would bear fruit in the lives of the men and women and boys and girls who gather here week by week and that you would send us out into our circle of friends with Jesus on our lips, excited about his kingdom, sharing him with others prayerfully and seeing them saved. We ask it in his name. Amen.